This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Recently, Michigan's United States Senator and Chairwoman of the Senate Agricultural Committee asked me to testify about food insecurity at the opening hearing, a field hearing for the next Farm Bill. This hearing was held at the STEM building on the campus of Michigan State University and was complete with Chairwoman Senator Debbie Stabenow, her gavel, and Ranking Member Senator John Boozman from Arkansas. The Farm Bill is the single most important piece of legislation that affects food in our entire system. From growers to processors to land conservation to crop yields, from food for the grocery store to food for the food banks, the Farm Bill touches food from beginning to end. Longtime listeners and subscribers of this show know that food insecurity is more than a job for me. It's personal. Why? Because once upon a time, I was one of the faces of hunger, and so were my two youngest children. Join Jerry Brisson and me next as we unpack my testimony at the opening hearing for the next Farm Bill right here on Food First Michigan. Thanks for joining us. We're back. Jerry Brisson, nice to be back in the studio with you and quite the experience to testify at the field hearing for the farm, for the next farm bill. Yeah, you know, and, and glad you explained a little bit about the farm bill. It's something that people don't know a lot about. In fact, I would say if you pulled the, the every person you saw on the street and said, tell me three things about the farm bill, you'd be lucky to get one in a hundred that could tell you one thing, right? <laughs> right yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the stuff of government that's really important that nobody really talks about very often, so so thanks for doing that. And I know that your testimony at the hearing was powerful. Dr. Phil Knight is the executive director of the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Phil chairs Governor Whitmer's Food Security Council and hosts Food First Michigan on WJR Radio. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. I come to you today not only representing my role as the executive director for the Food Bank Council of Michigan, but also my own personal experience with food insecurity. Hunger has many faces, and at one time, it was my own. No one aspires to be food insecure, but it happens, and through a variety of circumstances. For me, it was a life upset. After 28 years of marriage, I found myself with full custody of my two teenage boys, and during a time of the Great Recession, despite my advanced degrees and years of job experience, I struggled to find a full-time job. The counselor at school helped my boys get reduced price lunch and helped me apply for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program known as SNAP. The $97 a month SNAP allotment was a lifesaver for us. We went straight to the store and spent the money on fresh fruits, vegetables, and meat, something that we couldn't afford until then. We supplemented our groceries with a nearby pantry that I learned later was supplied by our food banks, and suddenly hunger came off the table, and with it, a lot of toxic stress. It was simultaneously a horrible time and a joyful time. I was ashamed 
yet relieved, and my emotions fluctuated between despair and hope. SNAP and the work of the food banks worked together to help take hunger off our table, and the impact of the food cannot be diminished. The power of the food is evidenced and it helped stabilize our home through direct economic impact, and it empowered me by giving me hope to find my next success. Well, Jerry, it was an honor and a privilege to to testify there. The room was, was full. We had a great turnout from Michigan. And Senator Debbie Stabenow, she does this um, at other times, uh, you know, in, in the process of the farm bill. Um, Pat Roberts was her counterpart in the, in the last farm bill, the senator from Kansas. This time it's Senator John Boozman from Arkansas. And they'll go and do a field hearing in Arkansas sometime later this month, I, sus- I would suspect. Um, but it was an honor to be able to be asked. It was hard because every, every testimony, and I think there were 16 of us, we got three minutes and, you know, I got, I, I went over four, but I did not get gaveled down, <laughs> which some folks who were, um, not many, but some folks did get gaveled, but I did not get gaveled. So I'm going to put that on my resume. Well, I, I'm glad you didn't get gaveled though. It would have been great radio. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just want to take a minute to just acknowledge what your, your testimony was about. And, and one of the things that motivates us to continue to want to change the conversation and to bring awareness to the issue of food insecurity. One of the things that you said is, you know, there's, there's many faces of hunger and at some point it was mine. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's not something that people expect to hear, right? When people see somebody successful, someone articulate and well-spoken and, and with, a, with a doctoral degree, say, you know, I, I was the face of hunger because of something happened in my life. It changes the way people think about the people we serve, and it's an important part of telling the story. So thank you for being vulnerable for us all. Thank you for taking a minute to help us understand you and your experience and for being willing to say there are times when people need help and we have to fight the shame of that because it's life is hard and and you know it 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 doesn't mean you did a whole bunch of things wrong that at some point you had to regroup and need a little help. And so thank you, doctor, for sharing that. It's a very powerful testimony. And, of course, that's part of the reason why it makes such a difference for the people in the room. Well, thanks, Jerry. I appreciate it. It's, you know, it, you do struggle with the, you know, as I said, in it, the shame or the embarrassment of it all. But at the same time, you have all the positive emotions, too. You're, you're relieved, when hunger finally comes off the table and you don't have to worry about that. I mean, we talk about that a lot on this show, but I know it's true because I lived it. And, you know, then, you know, you're embarrassed, but yet you are thankful too. Um, you know, and I, I think one of the things maybe we can unpack a little bit as the show goes on is, is how government programming and the charitable food network are really hand in glove. In fact, there's a little bit of yin and yang, if you if you will. There's a tension there that when one program gets cut, it might shorten the lines there, but it lengthens the lines over here. And so, I think we have to be very thoughtful about policy as we as we go through this and unpack what we think 
the Farm Bill should do and what it can do for our work and for the families that we serve. Well, and keeping in mind there are millions of people in the United States alone who are food insecure. Every one of those people is a story. It's not a number. It's a story. It's a story of somebody who went through something that got them to a place where they're in need of some assistance. And, And those stories are as as diverse as you can imagine. It's not a particular picture. And, and you know, a, a lot of times when people think about people who are hungry, the first thing on their mind is the person on the side of the road with the sign that says, we'll work for food, you know, the homeless. You hear, you hear those things bantered about together a lot. But the fact is, a very small percentage of the people that we serve are homeless. It's it's really less than ten percent. Yeah. And so so you say, Well, who are these people then? Who are these people struggling? And I'll tell you what, it's families. It's mm. families with children who are trying to figure out how to do the best by their children and and those stories will break your heart as well. You know, your story is about a family with children. Right. Right. When you got the the the, the first payment from from food stamps, SNAP, EBT here in Michigan. It was your kids who you were most happy for, right? Right. And it's not that you ever intended to be in a place where that would ever be an issue, but there you are. And like you say, the relief is there, but but again, you know, I I just I just want to say that so many of the families that come for help They're there because they want to help their kids, and it is their responsibility, and they know it's their responsibility, and getting food help is a way to accomplish that responsibility, not a way to avoid it. Right. That's a great point. In fact, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back and pick up kind of the policy side of this this, uh, topic, the Farm Bill, and uh, the hearing that we had here at Michigan State University to kick off... uh, all of the hearings that will happen. And the Farm Bill touches every aspect of food. And so Jerry and I will unpack that for you starting in the next summer. We'll be right back. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Okay, welcome back everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and we're unpacking a little bit of the Farm Bill testimony and what the Farm Bill is and means. And Jerry, one of the things I mentioned in my testimony is the power of the food. And we've talked about that quite a bit here. You and your team have developed what we call the household impact model. And um, I am happy that I was able to work some of that in because one, I I know that it's true because I experienced it. Um, And and essentially, why don't you tell us what the household impact model is that really illustrates the power the food makes in a a household? Yeah, so so one of the things we have to be able to do is talk about the difference it makes when we do this work. And the household impact model is a way to try to frame that so that it's easier to understand the difference it makes. So the, the first part is really the most obvious, and that is there's an economic value to the household. And so when you're trying to make ends meet, all of the income that you have counts, right? Well, when a family comes to get food from a from a pantry or from a mobile distribution, that's like giving people income, right? It's like giving people 
It's not cash, it's food. But because they don't have to spend cash to buy food, essentially it's covering part of their household budget, right? So it has an economic impact to the family when they get food from a food distribution. So the first way we help change people's lives is that we give them some income for their household. The second thing is that because of that income, it helps them to make the trade-offs every month a little bit easier. It means they might be able to stay in the same house longer because they could afford to pay the rent or the utility bills, right? We're not saying it solves everybody's problems at the fullest level. It just helps. It helps make ends meet. And so many people are close to making ends meet, that by getting this economic benefit, it helps to stabilize those households, right? It reduces the stress and tension in the household and increases the likelihood that they can stabilize their life a little bit, right? So that's the second impact. The third one is we know a lot of people suffer from diet-related diseases, chronic diseases like diabetes or high blood pressure or, or, um, or you know, other other. Uh, type health problems that come when when your diet isn't right. Our food is healthy. By and large, it's, it's very nutritious food. And when people have access to that nutritious food, they have better health outcomes for their self and for their family. Now, again, those health out- outcomes drive economic value. They also, you know, managing a, a chronic disease of any kind takes time, right? And it takes money. Our food distributions help people manage that. So we help people improve their health. That's the third impact. That speaks to the quality of the food. Exactly it does, right? right? And it's got to be high-quality food. So those things combined, economic benefits, stabilizing the household, helping people manage health concerns, it empowers people to move on to their next success in life. And that's the fourth big impact that we have. How does it make a difference? Because if people are have a little more income, they're a little more stable, they can manage their health better, and they're empowered to move on to their next success in life. Not too hard to understand once you break it down, but it's important that we break it down so that we can say we know we have this impact when people use our services. Well, Jerry, I think it's an encouraging note with the news that was released just just recently about uh, the president of the United States, and he is convening um, essentially a, a, a conference at the White House on hunger, nutrition, and health. Everything you just described in the household model is included in the as as part of the elements of this. Uh, First conference in I think what fifty years since since President Kennedy right uh, some fifty years and it'll be the first White House conference on um, on health hunger and nutrition. They're going to be hosting a bunch of listening sessions leading up to that conference, and you know I think we ought to send them the link to our show. Right, <laughs> right. Say, here's, here's, here's some listening sessions for you. Anyway, we're so excited about, about seeing that happen because, uh, I mean, for us and what we say a lot is that this is a solvable problem. But you have to still do the work to solve it, right? And drawing attention to it and being very clear about, well, what is the problem? And then how do we apply the right resources in the right ways 
to solve the problem. There are some root causes that have to be looked at. What what creates poverty to begin with? That's important to look at. But while we're looking at that, we also have to look at the lives people are leading today and support people on their walk, whatever that walk looks like, so that they can be as as successful and, and thriving as they can possibly be. We see this in kids particularly. We've got to walk with families with children and make sure that children can thrive because the cost of not thriving children is enormous and it's also unconscionable, right? Well, we've, we've said it on this show and I mentioned it in a question that Senator Stabenow gave to me at the hearing is, you know, okay, let's be candid, because we're always honest, right? Just, well, when we're candid, we're, we choose to say what's honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in Michigan, we have a third-grade reading law that says that a third-grader should read at third-grade level by third-grade. You know, that's something everybody wants. But we also know that if a child is not well-fed, they'll never be well-read, right? So... We can't ignore the circumstances. If we're going to have the law, the expectation that third graders are going to read by third grade, then we need to invest to make sure that they're food secure prior to that. And I really do believe that the the best way to invest in families is to work with parents. Work with parents to, to, to figure out what it is their kids and their family would most benefit from. And you'll find out that the vast majority of parents want to work with what, whoever is at the table to, to come up with solutions that work. And I, and I think we could make some significant improvements to the way we work with parents to provide food for kids. Now, you know, that's a 20-minute that's a rant if I get going on it. So, so we'll, we'll leave it there for now because we're here to talk about the Farm Bill and, uh, and its, its significance. And I, and I do want to tease one more thing about the Farm Bill. You know, the Farm Bill started because there was a recognition that for us to be a secure and stable country, we needed to make sure that our farmers were supported, that we had a farm infrastructure that would support feeding the entire community. And the Farm Bill's intention is to make sure that that infrastructure is working, in addition to just supporting the basic infrastructure of the the growers, the supply chains that, that support the distribution of food, and then, of course, the the people that need help with food, all that combined together becomes the the powerful tool called the Farm Bill, which really affects and impacts all of us, whether we're food insecure or hungry or not. It affects all of us in our households. Every time you go to the store, the Farm Bill has had some influence on what you see there, that it's consistently there, that there is a farming and growing infrastructure in our country that can support the needs of our country. And mm-hmm. it's probably, I don't know if it's the most important, but you might say I have a vested interest in saying it's certainly one of the most important pieces of legislation that ever gets looked at. And it's one of the largest yeah, for, by far. Um, you know, I think we'd probably have to get to defense spending or maybe homeland security to find budgets that have as far-reaching impact on uh, on citizens as what the Farm Bill does. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment to continue to unpack the Farm Bill.
Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson on Food First Michigan. And Jerry, we're unpacking the farm bill, the testimony that I was privileged to share at the first hearing for this upcoming farm bill. 2023, I think, is when it's due. So um, we've got a lot of work to do here, uh, you know, in influencing the influencers, the policymakers, the decision makers. And I'm glad that they listened to us. I mean, there was a great variety of witnesses at this hearing. Um, You know, as you talked about in the last segment, I mean, the Farm Bill touches every aspect of food in America. Um, But for our our reason, our our purpose, our call, uh, food food security for our state, it's a little hard. And we I mentioned this earlier. Let me recap it again. There's a there's a tension here between policy and the effect it has on the ground, the yin and the yang, the the push and the pull, so to speak. So when 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 there are cuts made to government programs, it they tend to lengthen our line. They might be shortening theirs, but they're lengthening the charitable food system and the lines that we have. And today, our food banks are at a five-year low for food received from the government, from the USDA. And that's a struggle at, at Gleaners and the other six food banks here in the state as well. Yeah, so we did talk about this recently, and I'll just simply say this again. Another topic that's ripe for a rant, but, <laughs> you know, when when the pandemic struck, the one of the truths of that time was people were willing to put their differences aside and and really look at what are the problems that have to be solved and let's knuckle down and get those problems solved so that we can make sure that we serve the community well during this crisis. And and it was very impressive. And there's a lot of examples of how uh, government and local organizations work together to reach families. I think the grocery distribution to families with kids in school was one of the ones that I was most proud of that I could be involved with at the time. But there were lots of other examples. So so now we're in a different reality, right? And And the reality is that there is money to be spent but the money isn't being spent, and it's not being spent because there's challenges in the supply chain, but there's also challenges in setting priorities and saying, you know what, we can't let this, the difficulty in making substitutions in the supply chain keep us from providing food to the community, and that's happening right now. We're, we, we, we don't have the same political will to solve the problems on the ground. Well, why is that? You know, what's causing that to happen? And those are really important conversations to keep having. I've talked with food banks all over the country, not just in Michigan, about what they're experiencing. And we're all experiencing the same thing, that, that, that we're not getting the food that was actually allocated by Congress. Right. So so we got to fix that, right? That's something we can't ignore. And, and that's now, is the Farm Bill related to this? Only in this way. You can't just put money in a allocation and say, okay, our job is done. You have to know what happens once that money starts to flow through the system and how it's affecting families on the ground. And the reason I'm happy we talked about the impact model is because 
every single program has to have an impact model and a scorecard and a way of knowing that the intention of the program is being met in the best possible way. You've got to look at sustainability, scalability, cost benefit, equitable distribution, whether it's food or whatever program you're doing. And we have got to get better at holding ourselves accountable to those standards. So that's part of what's going to make this a solvable problem. And I and I'm you know I, I, we 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 got to be at the table talking about this stuff. Well, I think just the point about accountability, Jerry. You know, and we should probably take a moment to thank Senator Debbie Stabenow from our senator from Michigan here, because in the last farm bill she worked to incorporate into that bill the language that directed USDA to reevaluate what we call the Thrifty Food Plan. And that is really the barometer that determines on whether someone is eligible for these benefits or not. The same kind of accountability could be written into this farm bill to direct the USDA to update, change, develop, do whatever they need to do, their business model, so that there is not this gap in supply do what they can do. They might not be able to control what's out here in the field with the farmer, but they could update their business model so that there's not so many canceled loads. Over 300 now since January, just here to Michigan. Yeah. So I'm going to say that it's probably time for an update of the, how we do that business. Well, it's really important. I mean, you know, this, this, is, our, this is our government, right? It's not them, it's us. And so our participation in it is, to a large extent, how we keep things working, right? It's uh, it's the process, and, and so here we are. This is what we do, you know? So, Jerry, one of the things that happens in the Farm Bill and, um, and other pieces of legislation uh, that are very, that work right alongside uh, the child reauthorization, nutritional reauthorization, we're still hopeful that that comes up. Now, I know this might be a little too wonky for everybody on, you know, the, that's on the street, but these things are really important, and, and they all kind of flow through the senator's office here. And so they're hopeful that they can do that. And one of the things that happens in these, these pieces of legislation are what we call waivers. And these waivers allow flexibility on how these programs can be used And so I think one of the things that you said a moment ago is very true. Not only do we need to be at the table in Washington, D.C., talking about these issues, but we need to be at the table in the state of Michigan talking about how these waivers are applied. And the problem is sometimes there's really not a table to be at. (laughs) Well, that's true. And, you know, so so without without diving into the wonk part and kind of getting into the impact part. So all of us have an obligation to look at how funds are actually used to solve the problems in local communities. Right. We all have an obligation to look at that. But fairly sizable systems are in place to support what's happening now. Sometimes those systems which were put in place in in many cases the 50s and the 60s just don't work the same way or work as they were intended to work when they were developed. And so we have to be willing to take a look at what's really working and what's not. And I'll say this, we know 
that working with families to give families groceries so that they can make food for their kids to take to school is more effective, has greater reach, and is less expensive than accomplishing prepared meals at every school all the time. We know it. But changing that system is very difficult because schools depend on those dollars and they use the administrative dollars from those programs to support what's right and best for kids, right? So you've got a situation where you have to bring everybody to the table, which isn't happening right now, but needs to happen to really reflect on how to best support kids and families, not how to best support food banks or how to best support school districts. You've got to talk about what is the impact on kids and families. You've got to put them first, and then you've got to build the systems that are going to be most supportive of what kids and families in our community need. When you do that, you find creative solutions where everybody wins, but most importantly, kids and families are able to thrive. Well, I think we work at cross purposes sometimes when we have allegiance to institutions, whether that's me and you with the food banks or whether that's other state organizations that in this particular case that we're talking about, it would be the Michigan Department of Education and school lunches and meals and all that. So we're misaligned. We have different priorities, right? But one of the things you've said on this show for years is you don't really care who solves hunger as long as it gets solved. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And all of us are accountable, right? Food banks, too. We don't build systems to help food banks. We build systems to help community members, right? And so whoever can solve the problem best in the most sustainable, cost-effective way, in a way that families want to be helped, all of those things line up to solutions that work the best for the long term. And, uh, you know, we've had, we've had so many guests on our show talk about different elements of that. And our, our good friend Rob Fowler has said many times that good policy doesn't happen in a hurry, right? you got to take the time to have the conversations, lay out what the options are, really consider what the consequences are, and then build your solutions over the right amount of time with the right people at the table. Well, let's take a quick break, Jerry, and we'll come back and wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan, where we're unpacking the Farm Bill 2023. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're wrapping up this edition of Food First Michigan, where we've unpacked the Farm Bill. And we talked about it kind of at a high level, Jerry, and we talked about it kind of like down and dirty at the three-foot level, you know, and like how this, uh, how this huge piece of legislation affects food banks and our mission to create food security, how there needs to be partnership from the federal to the state to those of us who are um, in the charitable food network on the ground. And one of the things that, that I really want to emphasize to our listeners is that when you hear one administration talking about strengthening a program like SNAP and another administration talk about um, cutting benefits like SNAP, those both have consequences to the food bank network. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, first of all, let's just put in context the entire food bank network in the country does about 10 times less or 12 times less than SNAP. 
I mean, I mean that that that's just the truth, right? I mean, the 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 supplemental nutrition assistance program is a way for families to get financial support in Michigan on an EBT card that they can use at the store to buy food items. And so, you know, it is a very important program. And because it's so much bigger than than all of the things that food banks do, um, when that thing goes down, we see more people. It is, and, and I mean, it's a huge increase, right, in the number of people that come to us looking for help. So, so you know, it's a, it's a one in 10 proposition. Huh. <laughs> they see one-tenth as many people, and we see 100 times, right? I mean, right. You know, because that's how, that's just a scale, right? That's just the scale of the, of the, the program. So it is important to us that, that people get the right help. But I also want to say this because, again, we talk about the faces of hunger. When you look at what it costs to, to help people overcome food insecurity and you think about the rural communities in Michigan, which half of our communities anyway are rural, half of our counties anyway, right? It might even be more than half. I, I don't have that number right in front of me. I should. I should, doctor. You can, you can slap me down for <laughs> That's not all right. Knowing. That's all right. But the bottom line is... For those rural communities, sometimes the cheapest and best way to support hungry families is through SNAP because that the the cost of, of procuring and shipping food to some of those far-flung areas can be pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be sober about what is the best and how much is the best. Um, the other thing is, obviously, when you give people food, you have to make sure it's food that they want and need. Now, you would hope that when they have money to spend, they get food that they want and need. Well, they certainly get food that they want, but we know sometimes there's a problem with, is that what people really need? You know, we know that potato chips and soda pop and other things are purchased with those dollars. And so one of the things that we want to do is balance the scales on how do you give people food that they want and need and programs that support both. Families want healthier food. We provide it to them. We know it's consumed when we distribute it. And in some areas, more food is better than more money. So we've got to look at both SNAP and the food banks together, not only because it's consequential when there's changes to SNAP, because it is the combination of those two efforts that's going to provide the best cost, the best benefit, and serve families the best in the long run. So Jerry, there were follow-ups at the hearing, you know, we got to give our three-minute testimony that, for me, turned into over four. But anyway, we got to—they had follow-up questions for us, and Senator Debbie Stabenow asked me about what I, in my own experience, what I thought was some of the biggest misconceptions about the SNAP program and our nutritional assistance programs. Here's my answer. Dr. Knight. Um, in, in regard to misconceptions, one would be me. I, don't, I think when we think about SNAP and who's utilizing um, benefits, you don't normally think of a middle-aged adult white man. And it's not an easy story to tell for anyone. Every face of hunger is different, and it has a different story behind it as to why. And it's about people who need help for a little while, and it's about people who need help maybe for a little while longer. And I think that says more about us as a country and a culture and how we come alongside of them than it ever says about them personally. Jerry, we talked about SNAP quite a bit here on this show, but, you know, there are other federal programs that are contained in the food bank, in the, in the farm bill, I should say, that affect the community. There is a senior box 
program, CSFP. There is a summer food feeding program uh, that's, you know, in another piece of legislation. But all these work together. And what we have to make sure here in Michigan, as every other state does, is there alignment? Is there alignment? And are these programs being used to their greatest level of effectiveness to address the need in the community? And, you know, I would say right now we don't know that. We, sh- we probably should learn that. Are, are we working together? Are we at the table to be able to address and make sure there's alignment of programs? So we're using these assets to their greatest level of effectiveness. And that's where we have to be. If it's going to be a solvable problem, it has to be cost effective. It has to have the impact at the household that we talked about earlier. And it has to, you know, take into account all the various points of view. But most importantly, is it is it changing people's lives at the household level? Are people stabilized? Are they able to stay in their home and pay their bills and the other things that all of these programs are intended to do? Well, it's time for a little food for thought. One of the purposes of this show is to change the conversation about food insecurity. Well, let's change the conversation a bit more about SNAP, about federal commodities, and about the food bank network. And here's the truth. Neither one of these are handouts or charity. They are investments in people and in communities. And the senators who worked this bill and the members of the House who developed this piece of legislation should be proud of this work and the investments they make in people who need help. Some like me for a little while and some others for a little while longer. In Michigan, we know that solving hunger starts in the field, and that is why it is so important to draft a unified farm bill, a farm bill that strengthens agriculture, strengthens America. And that's why we continue to say, food first, folks, food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.